What did you learn about the first Thanksgiving? And how do you picture what life was really like when the Pilgrims and Puritans landed in what would become the Massachusetts Bay Colony? And what ghosts linger from those first few decades of trauma and bloodshed? Today, we speak with a tour guide and historian working in Salem, who dishes out a realistic picture of life in Massachusetts in the 17th century. These stories are more gruesome history than ghosts, so settle in for a taste of the macabre past, today on Homespun Hates. Hello, Hainted Loves. Welcome to Homespun Haints, guest host edition. I'm Becky. And today joining me in Diana Stead is Carly the Village Tarot Witch. Hi, Carly. Hi. Thanks for having me. Thanks for stepping in as a guest ghost host. We're so thrilled that you're able to join us, Carly. For those of you that are not familiar with Carly, she is known as the Village Tarot Witch. And she is also one half of the Drinks and Disasters podcast. So Carly, tell us a little bit about Drinks and Disasters. Drinks and Disasters started out as an Instagram live series that I was doing with my friend Busy. And basically what we learned is that when life is stressful, sometimes it's fun to just be a bit ridiculous. So we started planning these lives and the theme was to be drunk disasters with cards, you know? That was was the whole point. We did a whole Chad week over the summer. And if you don't know what a Chad is, it's your frat bro who has the upside down visor on the back Uh of his head. (laughs) It's the men that we love to hate. And no offense to you men out there, you're wonderful, lovely. I make fun of women just as much. (laughs) But we called it the Chad Olympics and we had like events. We had events for people to do, and then we did a live, and on the live, we tried to play beer pong, like, oh, virtually. No. It, yeah, it, it went about as well as you think it will. <laughs> Very hard to do on an Instagram live, turns out. We went to Cryptid Bash together in August, and we realized that life is, just feels a lot more bearable sometimes when that sounded like heavy and dark. I didn't mean it like that, but it's like giving yourself over to these moments of chaotic bits of fun because we're adults we have adult responsibilities now i have kids it's not like i can go out and uh rampage around town like i am a chad (laughs) (laughs) so the show started as a way just to let us blow off steam and get together every week and laugh and so far we've talked about cryptids very loosely (laughs) you tend to sexify them yes (laughs) yes tend to sexify them we had a rant about tarot cards so so there's not really a ton (laughs) of structure other than the theme is have fun talk about some stuff and see where it leads us (laughs) it's like metaphysical madness exactly (laughs) i love it pretty much well carly you're joining us today because diana has a little issue with her throat speaking of cryptids she ran into bigfoot and he ripped out her throat and so (laughs) she is not going to be able to join us until she's able to get that repaired but she is here in spirit and we appreciate you so much, Carly, for, for stepping in and being Diana, or at least <laughs> being the Carly version <laughs> for today's interview. So it is Thanksgiving coming up. Do you have anything fun planned? I'm going camping with my dad and my kids. And oh. um, this is my first gluten-free Thanksgiving. And I just, I don't know how to feel about it. 
all of my favorite Thanksgiving foods include gluten. So now I'm like, well, how do I have pie? <laughs> so I'm going to do an apple crumble and we'll see. Okay. Or, sad for me. How about you? I have family coming in, so it should be fun. Usually we travel for Thanksgiving. We would usually go down to Florida, which is a lot of fun because it's very haunted down there. But uh, this year they're coming to us. My in-laws have been living in Florida for quite a few years now. And so now they get cold if it dips below 85 degrees. (laughs) I mean, hard relate. Hard relate. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I I make fun of them because my mother-in-law literally grew up in Siberia. That is funny. That really (laughs) is funny. (laughs) I'm not going to lie. I was never great at cold because, you know, Texas. But parts of Texas gets pretty chilly. It gets into the 30s. Very cold for me. But after living in Florida, now that I'm back, I'm like, huh, how does one dress for cold? I'm wandering around freezing and have sandals on. I'm like, oh, no. I'm that person now. (laughs) You got to wear socks. I hate socks. Yeah, Yeah. me too. I I love my time living in Florida because I never had to wear socks. I went three years without (laughs) socks. So speaking of attire, I don't know if you noticed that for a short while there, I had a nose ring. I did. (laughs) Yes. Yes. It's no longer in your nose. (laughs) No, it's not. No, this is is a midlife crisis situation, I think. (laughs) I've been wanting to pierce my nose since I was 26 years old. And every year I'd say I should pierce my nose, but I'm too old. I should pierce my nose, but I'm too old. And I just kept getting older. And finally, this year, I was like, damn it. I'm going to go pierce my nose. The time has come. (laughs) The time has come. And I did it. And I loved it. And I baby this thing. I take care of it. I'm so good with this piercing. I'm an adult. I'm not in my 20s anymore. I was like, I can take care of a nose piercing. So five months in, a few weeks ago, when Diana came to town, we all got really sick here. This crud going around. And I blew my nose so hard (laughs) that the piercing flew out. (laughs) (laughs) How does this even happen? You have your nose pierced. You know, it's not easy to put back in. It is not. No. Yeah. So I had actually had to take it out once before for a CAT scan. It was like all the way up in here. So to get it back in, like I had to do the needle through the nose thing. And I have to like contort my nose in a weird position to get it in there. I don't sew. So the only needle I own was it literally came in one of those hotel sewing kits. (laughs) (laughs) that I've just had sitting around since 2005. This thing is old. So this time again, when that happened, I'm like trying to do that. And it's it's not working. I'm trying to needle my nose and it's bad. I am so <laughs> sick. There's blood and snot everywhere. Oh, and, and my no. husband comes in and I'm like, can you help me? He's like, hell no. And he just like, kind of backs away <laughs> like Homer Simpson into the bush. He's like, I've had nothing to do with this. And I was oh. sick. I couldn't go back to the piercing studio. So I'm like, well... I guess that was a little five-month experiment that is no more. Yeah, that is no more. I think you should do it again. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go for so? this. I do. When I went to get mine done, I had also wanted mine done for like years and years and years. But it takes me, it takes me ages. Every piercing, every tattoo I have, I've thought about. Okay, that's not true. I have two tattoos that were impulse. However, <laughs> all the rest of them, all the rest of them, I thought about for months before I did anything. And my nose, I wanted for years, and I finally worked up the nerve because. I'm very afraid of needles, which I understand the irony in like the piercings and the tattoos, you know, totally get it, totally get it. But I was like, am I going to be able to see it? That's the thing. This is on my face. If I could see the needle coming at me, I don't think I can do that. So I finally worked up the nerve. I went to get it pierced and there was this old lady. She was like in her 
late 70s old lady who had just gotten her nose pierced. And so we were chatting and she was like, I'm so excited. I can't believe I finally did this. And I was like, if you can do this, I can do this. I was like, yeah. Ah. So she taught me through it. I had to take mine out for an MRI when my foot was broken and I could not get it back in. I could not get it to like re-screw. So I had like the L-shaped ones. Have you seen those that you could buy on Amazon? So I wore those little studs for the longest time, but a few times it got pulled out while I slept. And the next morning I would have to like, I didn't have a needle. So I just shoved that shit back in there. (laughs) Now I have the ring and it stays there because I've learned my lesson. No, thank you. (laughs) If you're sick and you got to blow your nose, it doesn't get in the way like the like the stud does. I learned this. (laughs) Good to know. So if I do go and spend the money to have it re-pierced because yeah I gotta have it re-pierced at this point do the ring yep try the ring (laughs) okay I do have a funny story one of the most recent times I got a tattoo I got a shark on my leg I love it and I had recently seen a TikTok by Inked Magazine and they were interviewing I can't remember now if they were interviewing a tattoo artist or if they were interviewing the man with this on his body but it was talking about how his whole package package (laughs) had been tattooed right what yes yes and it was like ridiculous things like there was like a wi-fi symbol but then i was i just was thinking about it and i was like how that has to be so hard to tattoo like no pun intended how do you (laughs) you know that's a wildly uncomfortable but b it's it keeps changing sizes. Yeah, sizes is either squishy or I mean that would be a problem if it wasn't squishy. In my opinion, I I don't know which one would be better. So I was in the tattoo shop, and I was feeling kind of proud of myself because I enjoy the process of being tattooed. And there was a man who needed several tap out breaks, and I was like, ha, wuss. <laughs> So that guy's taking a break. My artist and that guy's tattoo artist were having a conversation. And uh, most of the time I don't chime in because I'm not super friendly in person. (laughs) Really? It's not that I'm friendly. I'm just, I'm very introverted. So like, if I don't know you, I really won't talk that much. It would be shocking. If you run into me in a grocery store, I will 10 out of 10 be scowling at something. (laughs) But so... (laughs) We're having this conversation, and I don't remember how this got brought up, but I remembered that TikTok, and I was like, I am here with two male tattoo artists. I should just ask them. I should just ask them, hey, you ever done a dick sleeve? (laughs) It was a great conversation. They were horrified. They had also seen that video. So that's an icebreaker for you. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. So, So had either of them ever done it? No, no. Both of them said they wouldn't because just ugh, so many icks. <laughs> right. I can't even, I can't even imagine. <laughs> I know. Same. Like, mm, I mean, whether no, he enjoys you. it or he doesn't, it's going to be awful. You see, that's the, that's the whole, like, either way, that's a losing scenario. No, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> when you're in high school, you always joke around like, oh, it'd be so funny if you like got two A's tattooed on your cock. And then when it got long, it'd say Anna or, you know, you'd have, like, the, <laughs> the letters that would be disappearing and then would appear. Disappearing, reappearing. Apparently that's a thing that people do. Who would have thought? Not me. Okay. Or maybe just that one guy. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm betting there's lots. <laughs> well, Hainted Loves, hopefully you're able to bring some shocking piercing and tattoo stories to your Thanksgiving table this holiday to entertain your family and friends. 
If not, feel free to share what you just heard. And if you need something to scroll through while you're hiding from your family in the basement, be sure to check us out on TikTok and Instagram at Homespun Haints. And if you want to make a donation on this upcoming Giving Tuesday, consider supporting us on our Patreon at patreon.com slash homespunhaints, where you can listen to this and all episodes ad-free, as well as receive regular bonus content. Now, all this talk of body modification is making me hungry for some history. So let's bring on our guest, Girl Henry Rollins. Welcome, weirdos. I'm Darren Marlar, the host of Weird Darkness, where I bring you true stories of the paranormal, supernatural, legends, lore, crime, conspiracy, mysterious, macabre, unsolved, and unexplained. Named one of the 20 best storytellers in podcasting by Podcast Business Journal and ranked one of the best true crime and paranormal podcasts by Podcast Magazine. Bolt your doors, lock your windows, turn off your lights, and come with me into the Weird Darkness, posted seven days per week. Find Weird Darkness everywhere you listen to podcasts or visit WeirdDarkness.com. Today on the show, we are joined by Girl Henry Rollins, who is a Salem tour guide, a very, very spooky lady herself. She is very well versed in all of the lore and history of Salem, Massachusetts, which, as you know, is very close to where the Pilgrims first landed. And it being Thanksgiving, we thought it would be wonderful to hear some of the real scoop of what went down in the 17th century and not that glossed over shit that you hear in the kids' plays at your kids' schools. And we are again joined by Carly as guest ghost host, I guess is the best way to say it. So Carly, thank you for sitting in today and being our guest host. Ghost host is my favorite, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. And Girl Henry Rollins, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So tell us a little bit about what you do, because I know you're a tour guide. Yeah, actually, I work for Salem Historical Tours, and I primarily give the Haunted Footsteps Ghost Tour. In fact, Call Me Chris just took that tour with us. My coworker, Bob, actually did that tour, and he did one for the WWE, I think, (laughs) during Halloween. But yeah, we're down on Center Street, just off Essex, and we're usually one of the first ones that pop up. We're usually top two on Google that pop up for Salem Ghost Tours, so that's kind of how you find us. My name, I don't generally give it out online, but my name is Amber. You would have to ask for Amber if you wanted me to be your tour guide. And we generally operate from about April through about early December. But what I do is I actually take people around and I tell a more historical factual version of the ghost tour. I'm walking around leading 40 people through the busiest 
part of our <laughs> of our season to different landmarks and telling them a bit about the history and then telling them ghost stories that have happened through time from there. I just try to remind them about the real people that existed in these situations. These were real people. I try to remind people things like you can even empathize with some of these people like Judge Jonathan Corwin had 10 children, but eight of them died very young and he thought part of that was witches. So that's part of what gave him the super hard on to want to like persecute and things like that. And so you can sympathize with that man and not condone the fact that he facilitated ruining the lives of like 220 something people in this witch hysteria because like there are a lot of them Salem wasn't the first and it wasn't the last but like you can sympathize with him without glossing over the victims I'm trying to teach people things but also entertain them at the same time if you want to be told the truth about Salem please definitely come on my tours also I've just started a brand new TikTok account for only my Salem tour guide stuff and it's called Salem Uncensored and I actually will be just saying things what I mean without worrying about offending people. My regular one is Girl Henry Rollins and if you want to follow me there that'd be great. It being Thanksgiving I know that Salem is very close. It's like right down the street from Plymouth where historically it was the second European colony in the U.S. We all learn about the pilgrims coming over in the Mayflower and having their grand feast when really they were probably raiding and spreading diseases and doing all sorts of nasty yep. stuff. <laughs> were there any relations with the Native American tribes that were kicked out of the area to make way for the white settlers? Children's history books like to paint this really, really pretty picture. And they have the pictures of the guys sitting all around the table and them teaching the settlers how to grow corn and beans. And yeah, I see the look on your face. I take it. (laughs) I forgot you could see me for a second. I'm like looking at you. You can see me. Relatable. Hi, my face does things. It wasn't good. It was the same as you've heard. It's hard to get the accurate picture of it because people who were lying wrote down the account of it. But really what the actual Thanksgiving feasts were, were the pilgrims sitting down and enjoying the shit that they stole from the native people. That's what they were doing. They were giving thanks to God for the bounty that they were receiving, meaning that they had taken it from those people. They weren't inviting those people to sit down with them. There were some forced treaty type situations. There wasn't the long table and the teaching. Like that wasn't. I'm sure the the people from the Roanoke colony in Virginia that disappeared, that nobody wanted to believe the Croatoan thing, nobody wanted to believe anything. Those people were absorbed by the Croatoan tribe and were treated well. But these are people that came directly from under the like literally farted out of the british monarchy <laughs> to 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 these poor people here and gave them all kinds of fun diseases and then you know kind of just stole their shit that's what happened yep i don't have any nice stories there's nothing nice that's what i wanted it. to hear yep yeah all of the thanksgiving shit that you hear in the books is not real I wanted to be able to say something nice or tell a good story, but I looked through my notes and there's really not anything like the the story that we know that we've only recently come to know about the way that the Puritans and the colonists treated the natives that were here. It's true. We, We just found that out recently, but it's true.
That's a hard one for people to swallow because I feel like it's the things that mess with tradition. And that's that's the one that people have a hard time believing. It's because people want to inherently believe the best in humanity that of course they're they're getting along. What happened to them after that? No, they helped each other. They helped each other. It is what it is. I'm just a person that likes to tear shit down and pick it apart. So I'm like, cool. (laughs) I like the truth. Well, and I remember as a kid hearing that story and I was like, wait a minute. These people just came onto their land and they just helped them? Like, sup, bitch? I'm going to build a fort. I'm going to build a fort in your hunting space. Teach me how to stomp eels out of the mud, please. (laughs) That's a a line from a children's book I just read, by the way, to my daughter. I was like, oh, man, that's, uh, we're going to have to... Yep. <laughs> we have to talk about that yep. one. Well, people get upset about Thanksgiving, I think, a lot because it's one of the last holidays that people who are trying to be more socially conscious, they felt like that was their last holiday that they could still enjoy without having to change it from how it was when they were growing up. But you can leave out the bullshit narrative about the pilgrims and the natives and just eat really good fattening Agreed. food with your family. Agreed. It's right. okay to do that. So tell us a little bit about those first few years when Salem was founded, how it was founded, and what life was really like during that time, and if there's anything that you can tie that in with Thanksgiving. I can tell you there was a lot of usurping of property that went on. Roger Conant was the guy that got the original land purchase, and I think it was from James the first, 16... 26 is actually when he got here. And it was actually Nahum Cake, which is spelled like Namki, it looks like. And it was a Native American settlement. And they totally did take that land away from those people. It wasn't like just freely given. Roger Conant came from England. He was granted the land by King James, but King James died and his son Charles tried to take it over, tried to take the land back. And he eventually just gave it back to Roger Conant. They didn't just, like, have a great time with the natives. They didn't just nicely share. It was a less bloody exchange than some, but it's still a bunch of white people moving in by order of the king and shoving people who are already there off the land. The whole area is so weird here. There are puckwudgie every fucking where here. So what does that mean? That's basically, like, the... People call them cryptids now, but it's really kind of like uh, fey folk type creatures, like goblins, but for the the general tribes of the area who were in Massachusetts and in this area. It actually spans over a large portion of America that people believe in those as part of native culture. I've seen one. It was weird, and I'm totally not crazy, awesome. I promise. You're talking to the right people. <laughs> <I'm really not. laughs> yeah, what did it look like? It looks like a little, it looked like a little dude, like, just kind of standing there. I was like, that's, that <laughs> happened. Cool. Okay. So, basically, most of the argument that we talk about a lot about the land was between Roger Conan and King Charles I. The pilgrims were actually a different type of people than the people who were here. Salem was run by Puritans, not pilgrims. Pilgrims were the separatists from the church. So they're separate from the Puritans because weren't they all kind of trying to escape persecution? They were all kind of doing that. Like that happened because, okay, Mary, Queen of Scots, her son, King James VI, who became the sixth and one, that guy 
was really pissed off about how Queen Elizabeth, which is King Henry VIII's daughter, how Elizabeth is like, I don't give a shit about religion. I like astrology and just totally condoned and allowed whatever religion. She didn't give a shit. She was like, yeah, y'all have your fun. I'm the queen. I can do whatever the fuck I want. But meanwhile, Mary Queen of Scots is like, fuck that. We're Catholic and tries to get her killed. And that's what her little off with her head moment happened from. Mary Queen of Scots did earn that. The bitch was crazy and should have let people be. She would have still had her head attached, but her son was a crazy, crazy asshole who had, like, all kinds of fun ideas about how people should all be the exact same religion, and they all had to adhere to these things. That It was acts of conformity, I believe, he wrote. You had to do exactly what you're supposed to, so all these people left. It triggered the flight of, like, Quakers, Puritans, Separatists, slash Pilgrims, there were even more of them. There was the Quakers called themselves the Friends Society. Catholics actually went on over too, oddly enough. And the Shakers, yeah, that was the other one. So they're all kind of close to the same. They're not terribly different, but they're all they think they're different. Imagine like two different neighboring towns, neighboring towns that play football with each other. Think about it like that. But they're thinking like, oh yeah, we're totally different, but to any outside observer, <laughs> they're just totally the same. The Puritans ran Salem. They were the ones running the show. The Quakers tended to be super duper not as cool and chill like they are these days. The Quakers these days are pretty cool and chill. Back then, they were a lot like the crazy bastards that walk up and down the street during Halloween here in Salem, proselytizing and beating drums and acting like complete jackasses. So the Puritans weren't real cool with them. <laughs> As one would imagine, as I am not with the people that go and harass us. Yeah, we have a shitload of evangelicals with like uh, microphones no. and shit. Hard pass. So the Puritans were kind of over other people's shit. And they all believed, that's the thing about these groups, they all believed that they were the ones that could fix the church that Henry VIII broke because he had to have a fucking divorce 200 years previous. Because that's what started all this whole shit. All of it. Was Henry VIII one of fucking divorce? So the different separatist groups that were very similar in their own ways. And we all have that image of them like with their black hats with the buckles on them and their whatever coats and the women <laughs> dressed in gray and black. So let's move into the witch trials. Now, did the pilgrims themselves up in Plymouth, did they participate in, in any of this or is it strictly a Salem thing? It was the surrounding areas. It was primarily Puritans because they were the ones in control of everything. They were more into like, they would accuse a person that might be like, one of the guys was a Huguenot that they accused and he actually took off because he was really wealthy. Just anybody that practiced a different religion other than Puritanism, even though we look at them and go, these are all like really close to the same they didn't see it that way. And so those people would be very likely to be accused of witchcraft. And they were accusing people of witchcraft pretty much like all the time. Bridget Bishop got accused like 12 years before the witch trials and, and acquitted. Wow. Yeah, they were after her ass like bad. They really wanted her. I didn't think that you could be acquitted. Well, so back before the hysteria hit, it was less likely you'd be tortured. Like, the judge would hear the evidence, and there with less of a hysteria going on, the judge would be like, look, that's an unfortunate coincidence. That's not witchcraft. Bridget Bishop, like, they accused her of bewitching her second husband to death. 
<laughs> he just died. There was nothing wrong yeah. with him. He just died. It was probably like a heart attack or illness or something. She lost another husband before that, though. So they took her sadness and witch. turned it into like yeah. something How to dare a her woman with. be widowed twice in times when like, disease run rampant? <laughs> yes, yeah. exactly. And after that, she was just fucking done. She was like, okay, I'm wearing whatever I want. Like, she married her third husband and they opened two taverns. And she started wearing like red dresses and bodices and yeah, shit, she like did. deuces. And the men were having like really like hate boners. You have to understand. They were like looking at Bridget Bishop, going, "Ooh, no, no thoughts." And also, what if our women start having thoughts? And oh, she's causing me to have no, no thoughts, and that's evil and blah stuff like that. And accusing her of appearing to them and shit at yeah. night, like they wish. Like, stop blaming your wet dreams on the hot chick in town. <laughs> That's how it happened. Like, and the women were looking at her like really jealous of her freedom and also really pissed off. Our husbands are looking at her and not us. <laughs> yep, that's exactly what's up. And so when the witch trials came around and 12 years later, it was like, get her. <laughs> and they really did take everything she had from her. But the cool part is she's seen a lot in Turner's seafood, which is on her footprint of her land and stuff and she like walks around inside and her prized possession was her apple orchard and people say they smell it wafting around and stuff so it's nice she's still got her taverns they might have taken that from her at the time but it's like she's got her own back and i think she's pretty happy oh good that's nice to hear yeah she got treated bad though my favorite you'll love this one we'll tell about george corwin because he died George Corwin was the high sheriff for the Salem witch trials. He was, you'll recognize the name, Judge Jonathan Corwin was his uncle. He also had another uncle, Wait Still Winthrop was his uncle, and then Judge Gedney was his father-in-law. He was appointed at 26 years old. Nobody thought about the fact that he's a total fucking sadist and that he was really greedy and things like that. So he was putting people in jail, not feeding them. Some of those people were housed in the basement of his house. He was trying to extract pleas from these people. And I'm talking, he humiliated them. He stole their property, things like that. He would just go collect their property from them, actually, if their family didn't come and pay the, the toll or whatever. He was a shitty person. The Huguenot, Mr. English, threatened to keep his body. When he got back after he took off, because, you know, he escaped to, like, New York City for a while, and came back and found that Corwin had stolen all of his stuff just all of it and he goes to him and he's like yo you're gonna give me my stuff back and Corwin's like dude if you can find it among all this pile of shit that he's stolen from other people so they go and get some paperwork drawn up to have an actual lawsuit and other families join in too and <laughs> Corwin his head popped like a grape dude just died dropped dead at like 30 years old like blood coming out of his eyes and mouth just fucking died and so his widow judge gedney's daughter lydia is thinking okay i guess we're good now i've got all these people's shit and we're good and mr english was like no <laughs> no 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 i'm taking your husband's body and keeping it until you pay up and so she's just like oh shit he's gonna so she comes up with about a third of his estate and Mr. English is like, oh, you know what? I squeezed that out of a dead guy. Fine. <gasps> so he takes it and is like, win-win. I'm not going to steal your husband now. So she's freaking out, thinking that other people are going to come do it because they didn't have enough of the money left to pay up to all of them. 
it would have made her destitute. And so she buries him in the fucking basement for three years. And then buries him somewhere else for several more years to hide him. And then he winds up in the Broad Street Cemetery with the tiniest fucking obelisk I've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah. You know, obelisks? Yeah! Obelisks are supposed to be for wealthy people. And it looks like people have been pissing on it because it's so corroded. Oh, no! no. <laughs> So his head, he like had an aneurysm or something. Like his head just pop. I like how you described it. Like a fucking grape. <laughs> yep. So I know there's absolutely no way to go into all of the victims of the witch trials. But for anybody who isn't familiar with them, can you kind of give us an overview of when the hysteria started and how many victims there were? And then talk a little bit about the legacy. The hysteria started in February of 1692. The Putnam family is one of the central figures, and then Reverend Paris's daughter. It was pretty young girls, and they started just kind of freaking out. People think that it might have been ergot poisoning that caused it, but I honestly think it was just a bunch of girls that took some shit too far, and they were so far in that they were afraid to admit their lie, and so it just became a tool to get back at people and rid the community of unsightly people and they weren't able to take land from these people because the land would pass on to a relative but they absolutely were able to take all their property so it became a way to remove wealth from people it became a way to remove status from people get rid of people who were unpleasant stuff like that so it was basically children i think the youngest was eight years old and the oldest was like 14. they were having all these convulsions and fits and accusing all these people like bridget bishop they started with first sarah good and i believe rebecca nurse sarah good was just a beggar it was fucked up because she was just a beggar woman she was really unpleasant she had had really bad luck her husband had died and left her with a shitload of debt and she had to resort to begging because her husband at the time who married her after obviously he was kind of no account to you know what i mean like he wasn't able to make a living for them so they always had to beg and people were just really mean to her and so even when she was being given charity she was hateful after a while she had been treated so bad she was just hateful she was so embarrassed to ask for help she was just fucking hateful so when she got accused by those kids she was pregnant so they put her in the witch jail. They charged these people for the space they occupied on the floor and the shackles that tied them to the wall. But they didn't feed them. You could die of starvation or exposure or whatever in jail or sickness. If you were poor and nobody could feed you, you just starved to death unless somebody took pity on you. But they were still running up a bill charging you for the space you occupied on the floor and the shackles that were attached to your body. It was fucked up. But anyway, they got Sarah Good in there and they thought they were being compassionate not hanging her because they tortured her until they found her guilty. They thought they were being so magnanimous, letting her, like, wait till the baby was born. The baby immediately died from the terrible conditions and the malnutrition. They put her four-year-old daughter, Dorothy, who everybody calls fucking Dorcas because the guy who served her warrant had written her name wrong. Her name was Dorothy, and people need to remember this child's name. She was four years old when she was accused of witchcraft and put in there alongside her mom, had to watch her mom be dragged away and hung, and her baby sister die. On top of all of that, and they kept her in there still. 
until the trials ended. And then they didn't just release her. They waited for somebody to come along and pay 50 pounds to get that child out of jail. And the child had been so abused by Cotton Mather and George Corwin and all those fucking terrible people that she was so traumatized she never was able to function. Ever. She had to be taken care of constantly for the rest of her life. So... Like, I get so, I'm sorry, I get so fucking mean talking about this one. It pisses me the fuck off. This is the part I fucking eat people's ass for acting like, oh, this is some kind of goth Disneyland. That's one of the tough parts of my job. People who don't seem to take seriously. I heard this one tour guide telling a child how to (laughs) contact the good, like the pale people, the fae. Oh, oh, them. Telling a child? No, 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 no. And the child's just looking at her like, I'm going to do this when I get home. And I'm thinking, I hope that kid's not under a hill somewhere. Yeah. Wow. I'm not talking shit about other tour guides. There's some fantastic ones, but there are some out there that are fucking lying. But I mean, my boss is just really picky. If he finds out a story is not true, we redact it immediately. And if people ask us about it, we immediately, we correct. Any information we find out is false, we correct that. There's no bullshit allowed. There were no fucking witches in Salem. There were people who were abused and accused, and now you're calling them witches. That's another one. Where were the witches hanged? Or where were the witches burned? Motherfucker. (laughs) There were no witches. It's been proven there was no witch cult in Salem. There were folk magic practitioners, folk healing practitioners, but they were not witches. So that's an important distinction because now being such a witchy place, but at the time when these trials took place, there actually wasn't any real witchcraft taking place. I mean, how could they? They were were Puritans. They weren't going to be, that would just not be something that they would mess with, I imagine. Do you all remember when the bewitched statue here got painted? Yes. Okay, okay, but nobody told you this part. Either that guy, it was a homeless guy who had some mental issues who did it, but either this guy knew a lot about witchcraft history and witch persecution history, or somebody put him up to it that was, because dude painted the bewitched statue from the waist up to the top of the head and all down the arms. And that's what they used to do not with spray paint, they did it with red ochre, on women who were accused of being witches who had pled guilty and were set free, they would dye their skin with ochre so they would be identifiable. I did not know that. Like, legitimately, I did not know that. I love history. Yeah. So fucked up, though. So that dude did that, and then a week later, some dude from a church in Chelsea said his preacher told him to and he was the first but he wasn't going to be the last went and set the porch of the satanic temple on fire a week later we had bomb squad around here all through halloween there were stadies everywhere with bomb sniffing dogs because everybody was looking at it like oh they're sniffing for drugs no they weren't they were sniffing for explosives the whole fucking time we're a tertiary target (laughs) i had never heard about the red ochre on the skin and i can't move on until like is this was this a widespread practice like how how have i never heard about this before obviously this is before this would be before the times when if you say you're a witch you're dead either way right this is just like it's like the scarlet letter But for witches, when did this happen? (laughs) It didn't really happen during the Salem Witch Trials, but it was happening in a lot of time before that. A lot of places didn't kill people who were accused of witchcraft, but they did want to mark them. 
because they wanted people to know who they were dealing with. If they escaped to a different town, so this was this was like a permanent, a permanent. Yeah. It didn't like, come do you remember the type. crucible? How the Quaker lady had been branded on her forehead. That's another method they used to show that, because you know she had been accused and admitted guilt so that she wouldn't be killed or whatever. They didn't always kill people. In fact, a lot of times, if you admitted guilt, they would like punish you and kind of take your stuff but they didn't kill you if you admitted you were guilty and you said you were sorry and you like atoned they would not it depended on how much they hated you really but the ochre thing was more just a method of marking that went on in other times i think it still went on in europe but i know it was just they did that to mark people that they didn't want to kill and I don't think they did it in Massachusetts. They may have done it in Connecticut, but I'm pretty sure it okay. started in Europe. So whoever had done this yeah. to the Samantha statue is knew about something the about practice. That. Wow, interesting. Either that or it was a super weird coincidence. I have one final question. How is it that Salem has become this hub for witches and pagans and all of the above after what happened there 400 years ago? Well, there's a sense of wanting to bring it back. It started with Daniel Lowe, who had a jewelry company, and he invented those weird little spoons, the old people's spoons that it, it had a witch on it, and it said Salem, and it was made of silver, and it was the first one of those little spoons, and he started offering those, and it apparently became a big deal because every grandma in the tri-state area of every tri-state area has a bunch of them usually left from their grandma's grandma <laughs> but anyway that's how that started with it being an emblem of the town and then they started kind of leaning into it and then bewitched did a few episodes where samantha had to go to a witch seminar or whatever in salem we had been giving tours of all the historical areas anyway for a really long time you used to be able to pay a little kid three bucks like back in the 30s and 40s to take you around town and show you all the sites they called them like guide boys or something back then basically like it was a shoeshine boy type position and so we just kept leaning further into it and then after a while people who were into witchcraft started coming here Lori cabot is one of the people who came here first and started making witchcraft a big thing openly here and then people just showed up and showed up and showed up and a lot of the people who are witches in this area are people from other areas who have moved here like it's just a place where goths and wiccan lots we have a lot of wiccans and i differentiate between them and actual witches it's a little different because wiccan is a religion and witchcraft is not but there are varying types of people who practice witchcraft of varying, varying types who have all come here and goths and vampire kids and lots of people that are like that and Satanists. And we just all form together to make this community. We just all have this theme and aesthetic that fits together. And it's a big queer Mecca as well, which we love. So it's a pushback on the horror of what happened. I think a lot of people are drawn to Salem too, especially a lot of people who practice witchcraft or just spiritual in any sense see it as reclaiming the power from the place in a certain kind of way. None of the people who were executed were actual witches, but like it's become like a, not like a fuck you, but kind of at the same time. Oh, it's very much a fuck you. Uh, it very much is. The people are lovely here and just let me know when you ever 
come to town. I'm even willing to do off-season tours. So if you or any of your friends or anybody listening gets up here, please hit me up on Salem Uncensored and I can actually put together tours. My boss is willing to put together off-season tours for me. I can actually take people around through our actual company. So again, that is Salem Historical Tours, Haunted Footsteps Ghost Tour in Salem. And it's at 8, 8 Center Street here in Salem. Thanks so much. People who are listening, if you live anywhere near the area, definitely take Amber up on that. You've been listening to Amber, known as Girl Henry Rollins, and you can find her on TikTok at Girl Henry Rollins and at Salem Uncensored. Absolutely. It's Girl Henry Rollins with no I between the L and then N at the end. Thank you so much for having me, and I can't wait to come back. This was a great time. Nice to meet you both officially. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. And Carly, thank you so much for sitting in ghost as our host. ghost host <laughs> today. Always a pleasure to to see you and to talk to you. And Hainted Loves, while you go follow Girl Henry Rollins and Salem Uncensored, please check out Homespun Haints on TikTok as well. We are still novices at TikTok, but we're trying to figure it out. And we would love you to hit that follow button and help us out there. And if you are looking to support the show, we do have a Patreon, patreon.com slash Homespun Haints. All our patrons get bonus content in addition to sometimes live tarot readings. We're going to be doing some live dream interpretation soon. And all of our episodes without commercials. And if you happen to be walking down a dark street in Salem and you hear your name called from above and you see the image of Cotton Mather, you're going to have a spooky day. Homespun Haints is hosted by Becky Kilimnik and Diana Doty and produced by Homespun Haints Media LLC. Editing and music by Becky Kilimnik. Show notes by Diana Doty. If you have a ghost story and you'd like to be considered as a guest for this podcast, please visit our website at homespunhaints.com slash submit. <laughs>